0: wait, one second.
1: Did you do a crime
0: game? Yeah, they're they're after me. Shit, GM crimes, the D and D crimes I've committed.
2: I heard you're fudging your rules. Get down. <laughs>
0: Oh, and welcome to welcome to my dungeon uh thanks again for coming uh i'm gabe i'm cat and this week we have a special guest with us patrick
1: hi hello
0: <laughs> uh patrick's a good friend of mine uh we used to play D together back Which in the is, yeah. in, in the in the meat space
1: yeah uh, uh I thought you were going to say back in the day, and I was like, it was literally like last year. <laughs> back in back in the olden times, we used to play d together.
0: I, I was actually going to talk about how that uh, game store is actually now closed. Yeah. We? Yeah,
1: oh, it's, uh-huh. been, it's been years, it's been decades since we've played <laughs> d d together.
0: Yeah, the game store's been burned to the ground for 10 years now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's incredible. How strange. How that works, yeah. Uh,
0: but yeah, Patrick's fun. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to do this episode with them.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me on the
0: podcast. Of course. Uh, So let's get to that interview. Uh, What was your first game, Patrick? What sort of introduced you to
1: tabletop? Uh, Funnily enough, it was was D&D. It was um, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, uh, so second edition D&D, which probably ages me a little bit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm probably rather older than Gabe is. So um, yeah, so I played AD&D with uh, a couple of my friends um, when we were in high school. Uh, so I think we were 15 or 16 when we first started playing, um, maybe 17, and it's uh, two very good friends of mine um, who uh, are from the UK, obviously, and I'm very excited to see them in a couple of weeks when they're coming out to visit. Um, but one of their brothers, he used to do DM uh, for us back in the day, Um, and then he moved uh, not long after we started, so we played a little while on on AD&D, and then um, we switched over to 3.5, and then we we all kind of started taking turns DMing, and we introduced a couple more people into the game, Um, and that was, yeah, my first taste of of both playing and and being a Dungeon Master was through uh, the early editions of Dungeons and Trackings, so...
0: A d and d is a good uh, good edition. It's there's a lot of stuff yeah. in there. That's uh, it's a lot of like weird some,
1: concepts. That yeah, are, like um, it's completely flipped on its head because a lot of the roles are about getting low numbers, not getting high numbers. Interesting. And then, yeah, and then they, they switched over to third edition, and I, I never played like vanilla third edition. Um, I think with it, three point five was already out by the time that we were playing. Um, we we started playing, but um my My friend's brother had prior experience and owned all of the the a d and d kind of um source books and stuff, so he he brought us in on that one and and then immediately we went to to three point five which then flips it kind of on its head, and you start going with the like you want to get high rolls, you want to be you know your armor class is eighteen, you want to be beating these armor classes whereas before it was like, well, your skill is this, and you want to get under that skill in order to pass the test so yeah, it was very different and i'm not I'm not really sure what the the logic behind flipping it was, but it seemed to work, and it's what they do to this day so
0: I think they just wanted to make it make it makes a little more sense to be like I want the higher number.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's more impressive to roll a twenty but than it is to roll a it,
0: one. Uh, AD and D has some neat things that I I do I do want to see in some other editions.
1: Mm. It's been a long time, honestly, since I played it. They so could bring some even, things back. Yeah, Would it be interesting? Yeah, I'm not I'm not super familiar with the mechanics of it anymore. Just I just remember the dice roll.
2: So, what games do you currently play or run?
1: Uh, I don't play anything at the moment, unfortunately. I've not had a whole lot of time in my um, personal life to, to be playing RPG um, games. The last one that I was involved in was uh, the, the d d game with Gabe. Um, and then, you know, back when I was still in the UK a couple of years ago, I was uh, playing a, a Dark Heresy game. Um, but no, I haven't had a whole lot of time recently, unfortunately. Uh, I would love to get back into it. I, I feel like, uh, well, I'm, I'm about to... Disappear off for a few weeks, but when I get back, that I have the, the time again to be doing something. So maybe we sh- maybe we should uh, look into starting something up again, Gabe. But
0: yeah, I'd be interested. You know, yeah. you know, I'm down.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, nothing right now, unfortunately.
0: Okay. Uh, what about this one? What's one of your favorite characters that you've ever played?
1: Um, I know, I know that you uh, you very much like Nigel who I was playing for a while <laughs> in our campaign, who was a a, a gnome rogue who was extremely good at, at vanishing into thin air um like I always seem to manage to hit the critical uh, critical hit rolls on my my hide rolls um, and he, he would literally vanish but I think probably my favorite one from all time that I've played is uh, back in the, the dark heresy campaign that I was playing um, I was playing a, a character we, we were on um it's the the setting obviously this Warhammer 40,000 kind of um, yeah. games workshop era uh, things and we were on a, a hive ship um, that was. Uh, kind of floating in the void and he was this um, I can't remember the character class exactly but he was basically uh, kind of street kid um, trash panda who lived in this like um, disused uh Trash ejection shoot in the ship,
0: oh my god. Um, and essentially
1: just lived lived in trash forever, and um, was just super into taking any drug that he could get his hand on. Um, oh
2: my god! Often,
1: often to his his own and the party's detriment. Um, the, the one of the main um, hooks of the campaign was that the uh, in, Inquisition on the ship had been developing this um, psychic uh, active drug that. Um, was meant to kind of in- increase the abilities of the psychers on board the ship but if okay. you took it and you weren't a psycho, it just kind of sent you uh slightly insane and we we stumbled <laughs> upon this scene where there was just like remnants of this drug so we just picked them up and took it uh and it didn't go well for him <laughs> um, he was oh, seeing mean, demons pretty quickly uh and and he was yeah but it didn't it didn't deter him from taking any and all drugs that he found from then on So
0: yeah i remember you telling about him that sounds like such a neat uh concept for a character like i'm just gonna put this all into my body because yeah he, i want to
1: he was just like super super into being high all the time in any way that he could possibly <laughs> oh get high my gosh. so um yeah he was he was a lot of fun to play and uh, I, I hopefully i'll get another chance to play and play him at some point his name was trank um uh. yeah that, that's so, a good name yeah, for him. yeah he was that is he was a good. um yeah, he wasn't very good at much except for injecting things into him. But than- <laughs> yeah, he was—he was a lot of fun to role play. So, <sighs> uh,
2: so what are your some some of your inspirations as a player or a, or a GM? Um,
1: that's, I, I've only really GMed one game a long time ago back when we were playing uh, 3.5. But I remember uh, being really into um, Lord of the Rings at the time because it was around the time that the movies were coming out and. Um, I was you know reading the books and I about the Hobbit and this kind of thing and and so Tolkien's always been a big inspiration on on um, my kind of world design and I've been on and off for a long time now. I've been trying to develop my own kind of like fa- uh, fantasy world that's based on um, not world exactly, but kind of game setting that's based on uh, Celtic um, mythology because mm. I'm from mm. Wales originally and um, so. Yeah, just kind of getting that. Um, you get a lot of, like, uh, the Vikings play, you know, are a big influence on a lot of the kind of, like, fancy barbarians and that right, kind of right, thing. Right. But you don't see a lot in the way of um, the Celtic, Celtic influence. Like, uh, like not so much the Irish. There's a, there's a fair bit of, like, Irish mythology in, in D&D in terms of the, the monsters and that kind of thing. But, like, the Welsh and the Scottish, you don't really get that. So I thought it might be interesting to explore. And obviously Tolkien, um, his kind of Elvish language was... Uh, based kind of roughly on uh, medieval Welsh, so um, you get that kind of interesting. interesting like, uh, th- there's some exploration of it because it's a very um, kind of sing-songy language, uh, medieval Welsh. But uh, there's no kind of exploration of the culture itself. So um, oh. that's kind of my my inspiration. As as a player, I, I like to. Um, I just like to play fun characters. I like to. I like to have fun whilst I'm role playing and. Um, I don't know where I got the inspiration for for a couple of my recent characters, um, like an Nigel, I've got no idea, but uh, the one that I was playing after that with you, Gabe, um, he was based on uh, the character of Neil from The Young Ones, so he was this, like, hippie who didn't (laughs) really want to hurt anybody and was just like he was a druid who was just like, oh man, just leave me alone, you know. Uh, <laughs> I yeah. Good. And, um, yeah, he, he was extremely averse to hurting anybody at any point and, and he could turn into like animals so he just turned into a mouse and disappeared quite a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, which, yeah, playing a pacifist in an RPG is an interesting uh, choice that requires a lot of dedicated role playing but, yes. um, so that kind of thing. Yeah, just like, I like to kind of do the kind of, uh, not parody exactly but to play characters that are interesting from media that i've enjoyed Uh,
0: a a fun concept to play that's fun to actually like put into uh, into a character
1: yeah yeah it's just it feels like uh, particularly with that one it felt like i was going like against how you're supposed to be like engaging with the game it's like this is this is how the game wants you to play it so are there any other ways that you can do it and um, that that are slightly kind of counterintuitive to that, but could still yield like positive results. So,
0: no, that's good. I, I love that. That's that's challenging for everybody in a good way. In yeah. a, in a good way, it makes you think outside the box as a as a GM and as a fellow player. Be like, how do I <laughs> make sure that this person is you know still helpful to the party?
1: Yeah, right. Because you don't, I didn't, I didn't want to go into it with a like, well, I'm going to do this whether it's helpful to the party or not. I don't want to be like harmful against, you know, the, the I don't want to be actively harming the, the thing that we're right. trying to do and right. getting in people's way and frustrating people. But I also kind of want to take sometimes take the game and like flip it on its head a little bit and and see it like how can I have fun whilst breaking the game? You know,
0: exactly, so. exactly. So speaking of breaking the game, what's what might be your favorite mechanic from a from a role playing game?
1: Um, Years ago, a few years ago now when I was still living in London, I played um, this really interesting uh, horror game called Dread and the mechanic that I really like from that is that you set up a a Jenga tower at the beginning of the game and whenever you have to so instead of making a roll to do anything um, it's meant to be this kind of like pulp horror game where you're a group of people who's turned up at a haunted house and you're going around the haunted house and you've all been separated or whatever uh, and Whenever you need to make a decision or, or, you know, a skill check comes up, you take a block out of the Jenga tower and put it on the top. So at the beginning of the game, um, the, the decisions are quite easy. You know, you you, you make the, the check pretty pretty easy because it's quite easy to take a single block out of a Jenga tower, but as the game goes on, um, it gets harder and harder to, to find the, the, the piece to take out that's going to let you make this skill check and then at some point, obviously, the tower collapses. And when the tower collapses, the thing that you were trying to do, you fail. And sometimes that means that you die, and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it just means that you get attacked by a ghost or something like that. Um, and you have to, to, uh, to do something to get out of that situation. But whenever the tower falls over, um, you reset it. So it goes back to being slightly easy again. So it kind of builds up this tension to this point where you feel like something is um, you know is imminently about to happen and then uh, the tension is released because somebody's been caught by the the killer or, or they've been you know tied up in the basement um and, you know, you now need to go down and rescue them, but it's now slightly easier for you to get to the point where you can rescue them. And then eventually it will, again, build up to the point where you need to kind of make this call and you're going to make a decision and it's not going to work and, and the tower's going to fall down and, and you're going to get in trouble as well. And it really builds the tension quite nicely because it starts off nice and easy and everybody's like, oh, I can do this, I can pull blocks out of a, a Jenga tower. And then you get into the point where it's like, oh God, I've got to make this decision in order for my character to survive. But by making this decision, by pulling out the easy block that's left, I'm making it harder for the other players who are in the game to also kind of be able to progress um, further in the story. So I think that's a really nice mechanic that um, somebody obviously just had this like brainstorm moment at some point where it's like, this is a really good way to do a horror RPG. And it was really interesting the the, the time that we played it. So I really like that a lot.
0: That's such a neat concept. I love that. That building of tension and then release and then... Ooh, that's so cool! Ooh, oh, I wish yeah. I wish you could translate that over the computer. That'd be so hard to translate over the computer. But holy shit, that's cool! <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. really, it's
1: really nice. It's it it's kind of you know, it works uniquely well in a horror game as well because it's just the kind of thing where it's like if it was a a relatively low stakes game, you know, a fantasy fantasy game where if you make a bad decision, then nothing really, you know, if you if you roll a skill check to like fire a bow at somebody and you don't hit hit it it's not the end of the world, you get another chance to do that. But in a horror RPG, when, you know, if you if you screw up, then, you know, the, the killer might get you and uh, might, you know, slit your throat or something, then it really does have that kind of tension to it. And it's like your your ability to continue in the game depends on your ability to kind of make uh, these decisions and, and also the steadiness of your hand and, like, how nervous you are. And I've got a friend that we were playing this game with who um, he's just, like, the most nervous person when it comes to playing games because he just doesn't have any, he, he can't read people very well, um, so like whenever we would, we would play other games like um, uh, Resistance, he would just be like, oh my god, I can't cope with this because this is so stressful, like I can't read what any of these people are doing, <laughs> uh, and so for him to be like, I'm so nervous right now, like I can't make this decision, my hands are shaking so much, uh, it really kind of adds to that tension of the game, which is uniquely good for a horror game, it may not be so for another game, I guess, but I I, was, I thought it was really interesting. So.
0: No, that's super, super cool. I'll... I'm going to look that up because that's that's too cool not to somehow see if I can implement that. Ooh, that's yeah. so good. Holy cow. All right, well, off of that, great good idea. Um, we've got a, a pretty short GM tips uh, corner uh, about engagement. So as, as a GM or a player, you might see that some people, there's different levels of engagement. You know, um, some people are like in there, they're role playing all their actions. They're in there, they're like really playing their character and trying to get other people to play. And other people are, you know, playing it more like a game. They're rolling dice, they're saying their character does this, or they try to, uh, uh, they're, they're a little more detached from it. And uh, I would say it's a good idea to get used to, or not get used to, get to know your players and see what kind of players they are um because not everyone engages at the same level and that's okay you know not everybody is going to be role playing all the time and going to be really into being in character and doing voices and you know making that sort of rp decision instead of a like tactical decision some people are like that and some people are more into playing it like a game they're more into like planning things out or or, or, you know, min-maxing their character or something like that might be less interested in the sort of role-play-heavy aspect of it. And that's, that's okay. And uh, it's, it's important to not think that it's a failure on your end as, as a GM. Like, oh, I can't engage them, so that, that's my fault. Some people just like being a part of a game. And seeing the world and playing whatever story that their the GM prepared for them, uh, and it's you have to learn to uh, not expect the same level of engagement from all your players.
2: Yeah, I agree. Learning that it's that's okay. You know, it's players they're gonna have different styles, and if what's important at the end of the day is if people are having
1: fun. Yeah, I think you've got to let people engage at exactly the level that they want to play. Like back back in in the olden days when I used to play D anD D, I we had a group where you know I'd say that there were four of us who were really really committed, and we were down to like role play these characters, and we were going to do this no matter what. And then we had one of our friends who just wanted to join in and. and he played uh, a half-orc barbarian, and all he did was kick doors down. And he was perfectly happy with that. He would just come in, we would be, like, discussing a situation, like, we think there's some bad guys on the other side of that door, what are we going to do? He, I'll kick the door down. And, like, that was what he wanted to do, and that was all... You know, he didn't want to be, like, getting involved in the kind of deep lore role-playing stuff where he got to, like, you know, uh, talk at length about his character. He just wanted to kick shit in, and, and that was what he what he enjoyed doing. So we kind of we happy for him to engage with the game at that level. And, and none of us were kind of getting annoyed with him that it meant that, you know, it took our, uh, things away from us because it was fun. It was funny. Like, it was an amusing thing to see that, like, regardless of what was going on on the other side, he would do it. So we, we were always happy for him to I, kind I of get involved in that agree. way. I
0: completely Everybody plays the game their own way. And some people are... Like I said before, super heavy into their characters, and some people just want to kick doors in. And you, as a GM and as fellow players, uh, should be trying to uh, help them have fun, whichever way they have fun, Uh, because they're not going to stop you from having fun the way you want to have fun either.
1: Yeah, exactly. As long as as long as what they're doing isn't kind of negatively impacting other people, let 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 them have it. Exactly.
0: like if two players want to play bocce ball with yeah. <laughs> uh, important uh, NPCs.
1: Oh, that was good.
2: Yeah, like I said last week, I was super into them doing that because you know what? It was funny. It was. will <laughs> give them that. It was hilarious. Uh,
0: so yeah, that's my short GM tip for this week. Let's move on to the module. Uh, I'm excited this week. We've got good hooks. We've got good ideas. Uh, so let's read. Cat, uh, why don't you read the the titles?
2: Okay. Um, alrighty, here they are. So first one is: You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Um, the Harbinger Trump. Uh, the new library. Happy Death Day. Mysterious egg and the fiendish well
0: all right so that's six uh patrick why don't you do us the honor of rolling a a d6 five the mysterious egg all right the party has stumbled on a group of bandits after beating them they realize they're poachers and have a mysterious egg in their possession if the party takes the egg they soon find themselves followed by monsters and poachers alike what is this thing and uh, this, this is a good one. That was provided by uh, Muhaku2 on uh, Reddit. So let's go with the plot there. And then the theme I rolled up was revenge. Uh,
2: revenge. Oh, well, that's a good one for, for this.
0: Hmm. Oh, that's... There we go revenge in this adventure some villain has so offended one or more of the characters that he cannot be suffered to live or the interparty party could hire the characters to avenge his honor uh so basically there's a somebody wants revenge on somebody else okay this is good uh so we've got a mysterious egg and a group of bandits and revenge um hmm. I'm trying to see i think actually this might work good with me uh with with my thing this week so my thing this week i've been reading a lot of uh uh, uh scp articles and things like that it's like uh, if you're not familiar with it it's like a horror sort of wiki where they have like a bunch of horror short stories and things like that a lot of things that are like otherworldly or mysterious or weird science basically uh, and so my thing I brought this week was an area, or I guess a situation, where different mechanics are used. I was thinking, you know, what if there was some place that was like weirdly connected to another quote-unquote universe? So you would take a game uh, like Dungeon World, you take a game uh, uh, like uh, Unbound, and you you have a you have. Mechanics from that game that you apply in that area. But maybe this egg is that sort of thing that they have to use different mechanics on.
2: Yeah, I like that. Okay. And, <laughs> um, not sure how, well, yeah. Okay. So, my thing, um, that I brought <laughs> is uh, a phrase, uh, once again going back to, just picking a, a, a phrase out of my mind and uh, trying to fit it in is um, time is an illusion. <laughs> uh, I, I like this idea of time either going slow or fast, um, but not from the perspective of the players. So like, Either they enter somewhere and they come out and no time has passed or they go somewhere, come out and a lot of time has passed or maybe one to one person time has slowed down or, you know, messing around with the idea of of time as a concept.
0: So what if this egg is some sort of uh, what
2: time I
0: was about to say, (laughs) like, it's got some sort of time dilation effect around it.
2: I like that. Or, I'm picturing almost like a Fabergé egg that can be opened.
0: Okay, yeah, no, there's no- nothing says that this egg has to be natural. What? Yeah, what if yeah. it's like a clockwork egg or something?
2: Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, mo- monsters and, and poachers. Because, what if it's mistaken for a monster egg, and that's why the poachers are after it?
0: Interesting. They found it in, like- in some old dungeon or something. Yeah, they they so they find this egg. They say, "Oh, this is probably worth a lot of money." They take it. Uh, and so, what? Time moves slower for them? Faster? Maybe it just depends on how the egg is wound or something.
2: Yeah. Maybe maybe
1: it depends on who's holding it. That's, Ooh, that's yeah.
0: interesting. It, it reacts reacts to different people differently.
1: Maybe yep. it, it reacts to like different races differently or something like it reacts with their physiology differently
0: so like maybe uh while while elves are like holding it it goes time goes a little slower uh time goes a little faster, something like that
1: well i mean it could be you could link it to how like um you know the different kind of fantasy races have the different uh they live for different periods of time so um Mm -hmm. You know, humans obviously live relatively short lives, and then you I don't know how long orcs are traditionally supposed to live, but then you've got dwarves who live for maybe 250 years, and then elves can live for thousands of years. So for a human, it, it either slows time down a lot or um, speeds it up a lot, but then uh, because their, their experience of time is a lot shorter, whereas an elf who could potentially live forever indefinitely if they, they aren't killed... Um, it might not have as much of an effect because it just doesn't, uh, you know, the elf picks the thing up and is like, well, what are you all talking about? This is perfectly a normal egg. um, But the the human insists that time speeds up drastically when they're holding it or something.
0: Okay. I like that a lot. So, like, depending on the the composition of the party, it affects people differently. Yeah,
2: because when they say that as you grow older, like, time moves faster.
1: (laughs) It sure feels like it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it does. I'm like, it's the end of March already. What the <laughs> heck? What is going on?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I also like the idea of it being having to be wound up some way.
0: We yeah, we could tie that into sort of the different mechanic where they have to like. Use use a different mechanic that you the GM maybe introduce for this egg specifically. They have to like do something for it. Uh, what could it be? We're gonna clockwork, right? Hmm. I forget that. There's like a steampunk game.
2: Hey what what game is- if any, have some sort of time mechanic. I mean I you have the normal like, oh well around a round is six seconds, or a short rest is this long this longer. Trying to think if there's like something you can do where you have to roll for how much time has passed according to you.
0: <laughs> is there like a judge's bizarre adventure? <laughs> tabletop role playing game
2: <laughs> Yeah, right.
0: Um, or like
2: if time is speeding up, you roll like um two 2d6 oh, two to see how many hours have passed.
0: I feel like Call of Cthulhu might have something for this.
2: But like you you ask your player, "Okay, how long are you holding the egg?" And, like, how many seconds are they holding it for?
1: I guess, I mean, it, depending on whether or not they're, like, in a, a situation where that is monitored. Like, if they're in combat whilst they're holding the egg, then if they hold it for five rounds, then you know that they've held it for five times six seconds or however much that is.
2: Yeah.
0: Hmm.
2: That would be weird to <laughs> try to translate. I guess you could... um their speed could go up in a, in a way.
0: They, they could were... be, like, hasted, basically? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess you could, um, I'd like, an interesting way to do it would be that you don't necessarily obviously tell the people that time is speeding up or slowing down. You, you do that through, like, the kind of language of the, the turn. So they, they get into a, a fight and the human who is holding the egg is getting to go three times whilst everybody else is getting to go once because they can move so much faster. And then yeah. eventually people will be like, well, why does he get to go three times? And you can just be like, well, I don't know. That's weird. Somebody else hold the egg and see what happens, you know? Um,
2: oh, that would be so good. That would be s- such a good way to introduce that. to People are like, wait, he just went. He's like, I know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he don't gets to don't, go again. don't argue
1: with me. Argue with the game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but then, <laughs> you... then also, it creates like an interesting kind of way of like cause there could be a bit of tension in the party as who to get who gets to hold this thing, and then you know if there's like a human and an elf, and the elf picks it up suddenly, and it's like, well, it's not doing anything for me. I just get to go once every time, and they, they have to work out who you know who it works better for and who it doesn't work as well for. And, what would um, Stuff.
2: I, I feel like there needs to be some sort of side effect though.
0: So maybe if they hold it for long enough, they start aging faster.
2: Yeah. Like yeah. you, um, yeah, you start also editing, age. Your hair yeah. is more gray or there's more lines around your eyes or, you know, hey, you look older.
0: Or maybe like you start getting really hungry because it's like for you a lot of time has passed. So like you need to eat and it's like, Oh, you're tired now. You gotta sleep. Yeah, there.
2: You get exhaustion exactly. faster.
1: Yeah. Yeah, like you have to decide if it's uh, worth the, you know, physical reaction that your body's gonna have to to all of this time passing to decide whether or not you want to be able to go really fast for a few minutes or something.
2: okay okay so yeah we've got an interesting mechanic for this this egg thing and I, I like so the revenge aspect would it would it be this group of bandits or, or poachers uh, trying to get their egg back
0: or maybe whoever the egg belongs to yeah so. Let's say the party gets uh starts getting tracked by uh some like clockwork individuals who are like fighting them, and then other other bandits also as well start coming after them uh so the revenge is like you know, oh hey, they stole this egg from us now you have it, so they think that the party is one of them. Uh... Mm. Uh, okay. So they think the party's like one of the bandits or some of the bandits, and they go after them for that. And then the bandits are like, these guys must be must have like stolen this from us, or are trying to give it back to those guys. And so there's like a there's like a, a pick your side sort of deal here. Like, do you want to give it back to them? Do you want to keep it for yourselves?
2: I like this idea of having like a, a clockwork being or a clockwork. Um, Golem, almost going after the party. Some sort of clockwork monster.
0: Um, in D and D, there's a plane called Mechanus, which is like a, uh, like a clockwork plane. So, okay. so maybe this egg is like. Oh, maybe this egg keeps track of time on the plane.
2: There you go. Yeah. There we go.
0: Okay, now we're mm. getting somewhere.
1: Yeah.
2: And that's where it has to be returned to. There's a being that's uh, trying to get it back to the plane. Because, hey, it, it shouldn't be on this plane. <laughs> Bad things would happen.
0: Okay, I, what, okay, so what if this? What if, instead of, you know, the bandits or the, like, clockwork beings coming after the party, like, what if... And this this can tie into the revenge thing. What if like the original group of bandits somehow uh, like talks to whoever the plane sent to get the egg back, and they're like, "Oh hey, yeah, those guys were the people who stole it, and we'll help you get it back." And uh, so they so they're basically like pinning the crime onto the party, uh, and uh, and they're they're coming after us. Uh, they're coming after the party with the, the the, the mechanical beings, and uh, what if they manage to sort of take the egg back from the party, double cross the clockwork beings, uh, and then the party can work with the people from Mechanus to sort of get it back from them again. So it's like a like a double cross, triple cross situation. <laughs> You're going to (laughs) have
2: to draw a diagram.
0: (laughs) There's a big board, Pepe Silvia, with a bunch of letters on it. Right?
2: Yeah, I like the idea of having it leave up to the players which sort of faction they go with.
0: Yeah, because it'd be the the quote-unquote poachers stole it from the plane of Mechanus. Uh, and they, you know, the, the, the party ran into them, uh, maybe the, like, the poachers attacked the party at night, or, or maybe the, or maybe bandits stole it from the poachers, uh, and those bandits attack the party, and so, basically, the party could either go with the poachers, or go with mechanis. maybe the poachers have, Oh! Since we're going with, like, you have to wind the egg up, maybe they still have the key to wind the egg up. Oh. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah.
0: So you can either go with them and, like, try to, like, get the key from them in exchange for, like, helping them close the portal to the plane or go with the people from the plane to get the key back and and give it back to them or whatever the party wants to do.
2: Yeah, because over time, the egg's going to stop. It's going to stop working. Exactly. Oh, it'd be funny if they they don't have any sort of indication that it's stopping and they think that it's going to work in combat and it just doesn't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're like pl- they like g- head into a big group of enemies and they're yeah, like thinking oh, I'm going to have work. like seven attacks. It's fine.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it just doesn't. Oh my god, that'd be such a dick move, but I love it. That'd be
0: really good. <laughs> it's
1: good. It's good to, hear, to hear. Screw your players every now. And then. Just the Keep bit. It on their toes. Yeah. <laughs> give them, give them seven actions in one turn, and then take it away immediately.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, you can't have that power going to their heads.
1: Yeah.
2: I'm gonna go rob a bank.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, you aren't. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> I, mean,
2: I, I don't know. I'm <laughs> thinking of this party of just all. <laughs> all chaotic players
1: yeah. why, why was it that when I said I was going to go rob a bank that the GM cackled with please? <laughs> oh my god
2: the, that GM smirk
1: <laughs> okay
2: okay <laughs> here's, you here's go, this
1: bank that I've prepared
2: <laughs> you go do that <laughs> So what other things could the other factions have that would be alluring to the players? Like, maybe the uh, plane of mechanics has some sort of reward for returning the egg?
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, it's like a plane of, like, mechanicals. I and mean, they could some some sort of clockwork uh, uh, gadget that they give the, the party in exchange for it.
2: Yeah, I like that. Yeah, Is there almost a gun? like
1: a like a one like a a kind of similar thing that works. It's like a one time thing. Like you can wind it up once, and it'll give you a boost to your action speed uh, for like one or two rounds, and then it runs out. You know, everybody gets one of those for returning the uh, the egg.
0: That'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. That's good, actually. I like that. And then maybe the
2: bandits just have straight up money, gold, or something. Yeah, money. <laughs> Lots of money. <laughs> Lots of money. Like, make it an amount that is very it's attractive. Like, it's
0: tempting. Not like a ludicrous amount that you think that, like, they'll think that you'll never follow through on. But, like, a good amount of money that they'd have to work e- hard for to get. Yeah. I think I think that's a really good idea, actually. These, like, one-of-a-kind magical items. or Or a boatload of money.
1: I mean, like, the, the fun thing about the idea of them using this to rob a bank is that the the value of the egg itself is almost certainly far, far greater than that that they could get from robbing a bank of it, but you wouldn't know, probably.
2: You can either rob this bank, or the bandits will give you money.
1: <laughs> yeah. I haven't robbed nearly enough banks in my uh, RPG playing <laughs> days.
2: Needs more heists.
1: Distinct lack of heists. Although technically, technically speaking, the um, Dark Heresy game that we were playing was building up to a heist uh, that we never actually uh, managed to pull off because I fled the country. But uh... <laughs> um, yeah, we were we were building up to to heist to boosting something from an inquisitor that lived on the ship that we were playing on.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: It was good. We we had like plans of the ship and everything that we were like drawing on.
0: Heists are good. Uh... <laughs> So we've got bandits attack the party. Uh, they find a clockwork egg. Uh, either um, the poachers, or or both. I guess both of them. Like the people from Mechanis and the poachers, sort of uh, come for them. Maybe, do you think they'd uh like contact them first? Be like, hey, this is what we got, and hey, this is what we got. Or do you think they should just, like, straight up be chased by these people?
2: I think having them be chased and have an encounter would be good and see if the players want to talk. Like, why are you attacking us? Or, like, what do you want? And then that
0: could come out. Okay, so maybe not immediately attack them, but sort of, like, threaten them. Be like, hey, give us back the egg or whatever.
2: Yeah, yeah, so that... The players have a chance to be like, okay, let's negotiate. Or if your players are murderous, they can just be like, no, screw you guys. We're going to keep our egg. My egg. My egg.
1: Please leave my, my friend's son alone.
0: I also put it down that let's say if they align themselves with the, the, the poachers, Mechanus has like the people from their plane are pretty weak or like fragile but there's like mm-hmm. a shit ton of them coming through to try to get this thing,
1: mm.
0: uh, or yeah. or if they or if they align themselves with the people from the mechanics, the poachers, there's a lot less of them, but they're tr- they're like highly trained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that would be the sort of differences between if choosing to fight the two.
1: So, um, I know that. D&D 4th edition was uh, pretty widely and correctly derided for being a pretty terrible gaming system, but the one um, mechanic from it that I quite liked was uh, that it introduced the idea of, um, like, minions. So um, some monsters would obviously have, like, monster health and you would have to fight them, but then there would be things like, like goblins would only have one hit point. Like, you hit a goblin, you kill it. Like, they, they just die immediately. That's how, you know, they're weak. They're, they're there to be kind of... Um, cannon fodder in a fight Maybe these, uh, mechanical Creatures, because they're weak on the The, you know, the, the normal plane That the, uh, party is on They can only take one hit But there's so many of them that they're overwhelming you With, uh, with how they're attacking you
0: Okay, that's interesting, I like that Is that, um, is that the same as a Like
2: a swarm? The, um, isn't like A swarm of rats different from A singular rat
1: I don't know. I don't know how the swarms work in it, but I just remember that from from D and D is that a lot of things would just be one hit point because they were classed as minions. Yeah, th- kill them and... I,
0: they have they have like swarms of animals in fifth edition, but it's different than like a single one, and those and okay. those are both different than like minions. Which okay, I like that. That that could be the like another mechanic that you could put in drones. Okay, so then if they side with the people from mechanics, they have to attack the poachers, and take the key back, so so that they can wind up the egg and time can be kept in Mechanus or whatever. And then if they side with the poachers, they have to close the portal from Mechanus so they stop getting overrun.
1: Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, maybe um, the egg has some kind of function when it's wound up that allows it to shut the portal.
0: Okay, that's good. Yeah, they have to, like, take it to the portal and close it with the egg. Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, either way, you need the key and you need to get to the portal. Gotcha, that's that's a good idea.
1: So, yeah, that, I mean, that kind of ties in with the, like, the idea that I wanted to bring today, which was, it was more like, when I was thinking about it, it was more related to, like, murder mysteries, where I've had this idea for a while that you could, like, create a murder mystery that theoretically has um, a bunch of different outcomes, depending on how the clues are investigated and that kind of thing. So, like again, kind of going even further back to what you were saying about engagement at the beginning of the, uh, the podcast. That like a lot of new players to, to RPGs often have trouble getting kind of deeply involved. Where if they feel like they aren't kind of getting anywhere with the with what they're trying to do and like what they're trying to achieve. Whereas if you have it so that whatever the outcome that they end up finding is the right outcome, um, then it can still be interesting and it can still be different every time, but also engaging for the people and. How maybe like if um, the way that you approach coming to these like different factions changes the outcome of like the way that you can possibly win the the game in a kind of quote unquote way, or or how you can um, you know succeed in the mission that you're trying to get to, and if and if you get past a certain point where you've pissed off the uh, mechanist people too much, then there's just no way to go back to the point where you can. Um, you know, win the game by handing the egg over because they'll still be really pissed at you that you've done all of this stuff to, uh, to make it difficult for them. And, and it's like a slightly modular thing that maybe has a different outcome every time depending on which path you go down.
0: I like that a lot. Yeah, so mm-hmm. each sort of, each thing can you, can, you can sort of on the fly be like, well, they took this route, so we can change this and add this in. Mm-hmm. So no matter what they choose, they can get to the end where, like, they close the portal and they either have the egg or give the egg back. I'm trying to think what else they'd need to include.
2: For the setting of this, um, could you just pick any sort of... Basically, any any town or out in the open? or doesn't really have to be anywhere specific.
0: Yeah, this could be basically anywhere.
2: Which, which is nice.
1: Yeah, because you could even adapt it to, like... Different settings, so so you, you end up doing it in a town. You know, there can there can be a chase across town, and people are trying to hide, and then you've got to try and find the people and, and do like investigations to where the people have gone. And um, but then if you're out in the open, maybe you're in a forest somewhere. There's a little more kind of uh, you know hide and seek in the forest, and um, you know ch- you know chasing out in in the open and that sort of thing. It can really be adapted to to different settings depending on um, how your world is built.
0: That'd be interesting, too, because it would would make it so that, you know, uh, the people from the other plane would sort of interact with everything differently. If you're in a forest, they'd be, like, trampling the forest down and cutting down trees and things like that. If you're in a city, they'd be, like, uh, taking down... there'd, There'd be, like, regular people in the way, and, you know, they wouldn't care about that. They'd want to just get the eggs, so they'd be trampling people and... That that could be another way to sort of make it different every time.
1: Yeah, because you could you could have like the impact of the decisions that the players make, but also the decisions that the um, the kind of the NPCs make in how um, you know if they are in a forest and they're trampling all of the plants and stuff. That maybe the the uh, kind of um, fauna of the forest is more inclined to help the players. You know, if there's a druid there in in the party, they can. Commune better with the the animals. They get a bonus to talking to, to any creatures that are around because um, the you know all the creatures are more kind of vocal about what they they think should be done in order to stop this kind of invasion of their space. Whereas in a city or a town, you're going to have factions in that town who are going to be upset that you know their their business is being interrupted or that people are getting trampled, and um, they're going to have kind of opinions on on how the, uh, the you know the players should go about um, you know, what they should do with the, the, the egg that they've got or who they should give it to or how they should resolve the situation. So
0: I think that's a really good idea. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put that in there. That's that that would be a good way to mix it up and, and adapt it for whatever uh your party makeup is as well. Like if you have something that uh like a party that would do better in the forest, you could set it in the forest. If you have a party that would do better in the city, you could set it in the city. That that's really good.
2: Or if you really want to mess with them, put a put a party that would be bad in the forest. In the forest,
0: <laughs> or that too. None of them can. None of them can talk to animals. They hate trees. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Just flicking cigarette butts everywhere, setting bushes on fire.
0: They are gonna
2: have to fight the forest too. Oh my god!
0: <laughs>
2: I mean, yeah. God, what? Yeah,
1: I mean, if they if they piss the forest off enough, then maybe the forest, like, steals the egg from them, I don't know.
2: My party's a dick to trees.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> My party does not believe in climate change.
0: <laughs> Fan- fantasy climate change. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. My rogue
2: the- just kicked a squirrel. What the- <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with you? One of the
1: three suns that orbits this planet is... Setting the
0: world on fire, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is good. So I guess you would have to... The, the climax would be after you sort of pick a side after you have those first couple of uh, encounters with the poachers and the, the drones. You pick a side and then it would be sort of going after the the main hub or whatever of of the other group. Uh, You know, if you're with the drones, you have to take down the main base of the poachers. If you're with the poachers, you have to sort of get their base camp around the portal and take the egg there and close the portal.
1: Yeah, that's, that sounds good.
0: And then whoever you side with, you can get a boatload of money or those magical one-time-use eggs.
2: I I like it. I, this idea of a, a chase and, and giving the players this incredible powerful magical item that uh is so tempting
0: i think this is a good idea this is sort of a i think this would be a shorter one you could definitely do this within a night uh yeah
2: this would be a good one shot
0: yeah uh things things would escalate pretty quickly with this one so (laughs) you could uh you could definitely finish this within a night uh i'm trying to see uh, what else we need? Uh, uh, here maybe uh, what's it called? Uh, leader for the poachers and uh. Yep, yeah,
2: leader for the poachers, and then a, a leader for the, a representative from Mechanus.
0: What if we do like a D and D version of Cruella
1: Deville? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh!
1: See my ex See my ex
2: <laughs> see my ex. See my ex. <laughs> All right,
0: who voiced Credible? Uh
2: It
1: was Glenn Close. Was the uh...
2: well? She was yeah. the live action.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, I like the idea of like this older woman poacher, just covered in furs.
0: That's. Oh, I mean, we're definitely doing this now. So maybe Betty Lou, the the leader of the poachers.
2: Betty Lou, I like that.
0: That, oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, shoot, who's a representative mechanist? What? <laughs> I mean, can, mm, they'd be able to, sp-
2: be able to speak.
0: Yeah, this one would, at least. Maybe not all the drones, but definitely the representative would be able to.
2: Yeah. I'm trying to think of, what's like a clock part? I First thing I thought of was gears, but it's like, how would he name himself that no my name is not pronounceable in your language <laughs> gears we're gonna call you gears
0: <laughs> clock parts grandfather clock parts hold on
2: yeah some yeah a, a clock component or a name of a very old clock brand maybe
0: that's that's a that's not a bad idea Rolex. (laughs) Casio. Casio. That's good, actually. Actually, yeah.
2: (laughs) Casio is actually good. Anything else that we need to quickly uh, go over?
0: No, I think that's pretty good. Uh, Maybe a name?
2: Time Bandits.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's not bad. Uh, Listen, if nobody's got anything better, I'm going with Time Bandits.
1: Yeah, I I was trying to come up with some kind of pun on the clock like Orange, but... I couldn't get there, So
0: all right, time bandits. I'm happy with this much. <laughs> it's good. Yeah,
1: it's
2: good.
0: All right, let's let us let us get to plugging our stuff. Uh, Patrick, do you have anything you want to plug?
1: Uh, I mean, sure, why not? Um, my Twitter account is at Shiyuga. That's S H uh, I I U G A. Um, I have a website where I very very occasionally post stories, which is um, www.tenwords.co.uk, uh, I haven't posted anything on there for a while, but I might be doing so again soon. Um, other than that, that's, probably don't really want to follow my Instagram so I don't really post anything, so
0: Kat, what about you?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at SarcasticCat. It's cat spelled K A T T. Um, I'm going to still plug um that if you play Final Fantasy XIV and are looking to relocate to the Crystal Data Center at the end of April. My uh, free company is recruiting people, so please shoot me a message. And if you're looking into getting into Final Fantasy fourteen, it's a really good time to do
0: that. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Shonen 4 and 3, Google that. You'll find me on basically anything. Twitter, uh, Facebook uh i don't even know if my, that's my facebook whatever twitter uh youtube twitch uh steam find me add me i'm an okay twitter to follow but more importantly follow the podcast uh it's uh my dungeon cast on twitter at my dungeon cast uh welcome to my dungeon at gmail.com uh you can look us up on itunes we're on itunes you can leave us a review if you want to Uh, send us emails, send us questions, send us hooks, uh, send us anything really. We'd love to have your, your guys' input, any criticism, anything like that. We want to make this show better for you guys. Uh, we have a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash welcome to my dungeon, where we have all the modules we make on there. Um, we put them out there. Uh, you can get them on there so you don't have to listen to the episode and write down everything we say. Um... And I'd like to thank Marcus Fuller for the use of our intro in The Hall of the Mountain King, composed by Edward Grieg. You can find his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Marcus Fuller. That's Marcus with a K. Thank you for being with us this week, and next week we'll be at you with another episode. Thanks for listening.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me on the, on the show. Of course.
0: Uh, and we'll have you back another time, Patrick. Don't
1: worry. Uh, I would love to come back.
0: Uh, and as always, don't forget, uh, don't delve too deeply without protection. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.
2: Bye.
3: Cruella Deville. that's it. Cruella de Ville, Cruella de Ville. If she doesn't scare you, no evil thing will To see her is to take a sudden chill Cruella, Cruella She's like a spider waiting for the kill Look out for Cruella de Vil First you think Cruella is a devil But after time has worn away the shock You've come to realize you've seen her kind of eyes Watching you from underneath a rock This vampire bat, this inhuman beast She ought to be locked up and never released The world was such a wholesome place until Cruella, Cruella de Vil